Now, I know a number of listeners to this program are not fans of sour beers and wild ales. These new styles, and I say that in quotation mark, new, do just haven't been able to find them accessible. And I understand that. At first, I didn't know what to think of sours. And there are many different varieties and styles, but one of the things that I've learned about myself is that when confronted with strange flavors in beer, if I give that beer an evening together, let's call it a tasting date, by the end of the night, I'll probably have found at least something with that brew that I ended up liking. I think a lot of it is the term sour beer. It sounds off-putting at first, but Sour as a word doesn't really describe what these beers are about. There are some exciting flavors. I mean, really great stuff there that you don't find in other styles of beer. Wild ales and sour beers faithfully preserve a centuries-old legacy. And it might surprise some of you to know that what most of the world thinks of when they think of beer today, that style is not very old. The lighter golden style lagers which use hops as a bittering agent, that didn't happen until the latter half of the 19th century, when brewers began to seriously culture their yeast into purified single strains. It was a development of Danish scientist Emil Hansen, who propagated the first pure yeast at the Carlsberg Labs in Copenhagen in 1883. Now, you add to that Louis Pasteur's technique of pasteurization, which uses heat to kill bacteria, well, that ended the souring bacteria in beer if they didn't desire to have that. And thus began the large-scale industrialization and commercialization of beer. And that's only been in the last 150 years or so. Before that, going back to the beginning of brewing, perhaps 10,000 years ago, because of the presence of wild bacteria and yeast strains in the environment, all beer had a sour or tart characteristic to some extent. Lactobacillus, a bacteria, and Brettanomyces, a wild yeast, are the most common microorganisms associated with producing sour beers and wild ales. And because most beers were brewed, fermented, and aged in wooden vessels before the industrial age, the presence of those bacterias and yeast were endemic in the brewing process. So, most beers must have been at least a little sour, and probably a little bit funky. Yet there were clean beers before the modern age of brewing. Beer was not a random fermented slurry. Even if they didn't know the microbiology involved, brewers learned to coax and manage fermentation and aging, channeling these brews into what they wanted, even if they didn't really control it. And drinkers could distinguish between a sour pleasant beer and a sour spoiled beer. The Egyptians from 5,000 years ago had a blessing, you might say. May you have bread that doesn't go stale and beer that doesn't go sour. In English brewing books from the 18th century and even earlier, there's always a chapter on how to fix sour beer, even though they also valued a particular type of aged character in brewing that they called stale. That was something they wanted, but sour wasn't. And in looking back at that period, it isn't clear exactly what they meant by the words stale and sour. Brewing historians are still arguing over this distinction between the two terms. Stale beer was one of those components of porter, 
a very popular style that evolved from the blended beer publicans dispensed in 18th century London. Cheaper, fresh ale could be mixed to the drinker's requirement with a more costly stale beer, which no doubt exhibited a degree of bacterial sourness and some Bretomyces present. And while Bretomyces is associated today with, mostly with Belgian brewing, it was first identified in a sample of English ale, and the name, translated from the Greek or Latin, I'm not sure which it is, it means the British fungus. The tradition of including a portion of aged beer in porter may or may not be maintained today in porter's relative Irish dry stout, a style that evolved from the strongest of the porters. Guinness, the most famous stout brand, has a recognizable sour note that is reputed to come from three or more percent of vinegarized beer from old wooden vats, and that was blended into Guinness in every fresh batch. Although Guinness will not discuss the brewing details, and if you go to Guinness Storehouse in Dublin, you will not see the actual brewery other than the buildings that house it. You're going to see a presentation. If Guinness is adding the sour beer into the mix, well, that would mean that Guinness Stout is the most widely consumed sour beer in the world. While English porter brewers learned how to control the aging of beer, it was across the channel in the West Flanders region of Belgium where the process was perfected. The English porter process, as historians have called it, may have influenced sour beer brewing in Belgium. By the mid-19th century, that country would be the preserve of most, though not all, styles of deliberately soured beers, including lambics, sour reds, old brown, and whipped beers. And right next door in northern Germany, there were brewers who were contemporarily brewing styles like Gozes and Berliner Weiss. But with the spread of modern brewing methods and industrial technologies went global, many of these beautiful, funky beers while not lost, were mostly forgotten outside of their limited geographic area. But to the delight of modern drinkers, today's brewers are shaping these old styles and techniques to produce all kinds of new possibilities. That's what we're looking at this week on The Brews Traveler with Zach Nichols of Cellar West Artisan Ales in Lafayette, Colorado. Wild ales and sour beers. This is episode 36. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Hello everybody, welcome to the Brews Traveler. Thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. I'm Alan Tatman, and I'll be your host here for the next uh, hour or so. This week, we're talking about that corner of the brewing industry that a lot of folks are still not acquainted with, and that's wild ales and sour beers. And my friend Brooks Scott uh, from Chicago, he was in Boulder with uh, a work issue the same time that I was out there in January, and he suggested that we go check out Cellar West Artisan Ales as a former employee of his from Chicago, Prescott Fields was the operations manager for this little brewery. 
Cellar West Artisan Ales specializes in wild ales and sours, and we'll chat with founder and owner, Zach Nichols, who is committed to the idea of specializing in wild ales and sours and is striving to make the best beers possible in those styles. And I think they are well on their way to achieving that goal. Good beers and a place of conviviality, I say it's a F to the third power. Fantastic, friendly, and of course, funky. Tony isn't with us this week. He's been very busy with stuff that he does so he can feed his family, but he'll be back next week. And I'm feeling better myself, but I'm still not quite 100%. And like winter itself, this gunk in my respiratory system is just taking its sweet time and completely getting out of here, but I'm doing better every day. Um, One more thing on a very serious note. Jessica Machetta, my dear friend and the announcer on the podcast, uh, she lost her father, John, this past week. And I just wanted to say to her that you are in our thoughts as you process through this moment in your life. Um, Jessica's mother died just a few years ago, and now she said goodbye to her dad. And having lost both of my parents... I empathize with what you're going through right now and understand. So we love you and just want you to know that we're thinking about you as you go through this process. Let's now get on with the show. And now we head on down the road with the Bruce Traveler. Where will the highway take us this week? Where will we lift a pint and who will we meet? Let's find out. Before we sit down with uh, Zach Nichols of Cellar West uh, Artisan Ales, I thought we might talk a little bit about sour beers. And one of the best articles that I found online, and that's where I've gleaned most of this information, was from uh, on VinePair's website. It was a 2017 article by Nick Hines called Sour Beer Explained, and it just touches all the bases. So here we go. Some beer geeks, like myself, we love the layers of flavors that are in Wild's Ale and Sours, while some people who don't even like beer have found qualities in these types of brews that, uh, because they don't taste like typical beer, they like. And still many people remain unfamiliar with Wild Ales and Sours. So I thought, here we go. This is what you need to know so you know more about these styles of beer. Sour and wild ales are the oldest type of beer in history. Nearly all beer used to be at least somewhat sour before pasteurization and sterilization was entirely understood. But it's the wild organisms that are making these beers so enticing. Sours and wild ales come in a wide range of styles and can run the gamut from mouth puckering to barnyard funky to fruity and light. And the most famous sours and wild ales originated in Belgium, and where they were most often aged in wooden barrels that let the beer breathe and let the microorganisms take hold. It's the bacteria that gives sour beers their sourness and tartness, and it's the wild yeast that adds that funky and earthy quality. And today's sours are primarily influenced by two types of bacteria and one type of wild yeast. The first and most common bacteria is lactobacillus. This turns sugars into lactic acid. It's the same acid that makes yogurt taste slightly sour and makes your milk taste spoiled. 
Now, the second bacteria is Pediococcus, and it's a bacteria of the same family as Lactobacillus, and it's often used in Belgian beers to add acidity. Pediococcus can metabolize without oxygen, so the acidity will increase the longer that the bacteria is present in the beer. And also over time, this uh, Pediococcus bacteria will create flavors that are like buttery tasting. Now, the wild yeast in sours, as I said at the opening of the show, is Brettanomyces, also known as Brett, and it comes from, uh, it means British fungus. And unlike uh, the yeast that make ales and lagers, uh, Saccharomyces cerevisia makes ales, Saccharomyces pastoranianus, I don't know, my Greek and Latin's terrible, that makes uh, lagers. Brettanomyces for many years was considered an unappealing addition in the brewing process. At its worst, Brett can add flavors that some people said taste like poop smells. Others say it's kind of a Band-Aid flavor and aromas. But at its best, Brett can add balancing layers of earthiness to the beer. So here are some types of sours and wild ales. Some of these you may be uh, familiar with, some not. First, there's Lambic. It's a Belgian wheat-style beer that's made with spontaneous fermentation that's both light and tart. It's traditionally brewed in the winter and aged for at least a year and is often mixed with cherry and raspberry uh, puree. This unfermented beer is left in a cool, open-air fermenter, which allows wild microorganisms floating around in the uh, atmosphere to get into the beer. Flanders is a Belgian beer that's often fermented in large wooden vats. Flanders ales have a mix of acidity and sweet fruit and vanilla flavors. Uh, red Flanders typically taste more of fruit, while brown Flanders will have more notes of raisins, plums, and earthiness. American Wild Ale this is the craft brewers in the United States. This is their take on the sour style of beer. And it's usually made with a mix of ale yeast and Brettanomyces. Other than the sour flavor and wild yeast, uh, American wild ales don't have any defining rules to guide their styles. So these new styles of sour and wild ales that are being uh, produced in the United States, they would fall into this category. Goza is a German sour made with coriander and sea salt. Probably the most famous Goza on the market today is Dogfish Head's uh, Sea Quench Wild Ale that's made with salt and uh, preserved limes. Uh, if you haven't had that, it's very, very refreshing beer, low in alcohol. And uh, these Gozas, they'll have a balance between a salty and herbaceous flavors and then, of course, the sourness of the lactobacillus. Berliner Weiss is another sour beer that a lot of serious beer drinkers are um, familiar with. It's a German wheat beer with low alcohol by volume and high carbonation. And it has a lemony tartness of the style, and it's more subtle than many of the Belgian and American sours, and comes primarily, uh, come, this comes around because of a mild strain of lactobacillus. So... That's just a little bit about sour beers and wild ales. And so, without any further ado, let's sit down with Zach Nichols and learn how he got involved 
in the sour wild ale part of brewing. And here it is, folks. This is your interview of the week. Hello, everybody, and we are in Lafayette, Colorado, just about, uh, what, 10, 15 miles west of Boulder, or yep. east of Boulder? Yep. East of Boulder. And I am here with Zach Nichols, and he is the founder, proprietor, head brewer, keg washer, <laughs> do it all. <laughs> a little bit uh, of everything. Yeah. Here at Cellar West Artisanal Ales. And thanks, Zach, for taking a little time to sit down with us. Yeah, yeah, happy to chat with you. Why don't you tell us your, kind of your mission statement? Do you want to do this differently? than a lot of breweries do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have we certainly have a probably a different structure than most people are used to in terms of visiting their local breweries um, in the sense that we definitely specialize in sort of uh, smaller batch uh, beers, a lot of them seeing time in oak barrels. Um, you know, we have a, a house wild yeast culture that we use in almost all of our beers. Uh, so really sort of that kind of small batch Belgian farmhouse kind of approach uh, to beer making so how'd you cultivate that house yeast strain it's a great question so uh, when we opened up our original spot up in in Boulder um, you know which we, uber almost took me to until I told yeah them, no, we're, you're not going the right way we're still working <laughs> through the kinks of uh, kind of updating all the the uh, powers that be so to speak but um, yeah, so we, we actually did uh, kind of some, some open fermentations, essentially homebrew size uh, batches where we uh, kind of had like a small cool ship type setup, you know, an open, an open uh, you know, vessel that we would, uh, you know, brew a small batch of beer and allow it to sit in this open vessel and just be inoculated see, by, see what yeah, whatever's in the air. And, uh, you know, most of those experiments either turn to vinegar or... Uh, didn't attenuate at all. You know, there was definitely something in there, but it was not a, a yeast strain or bacteria that um, was alcohol tolerant. Or... Which, this was the way that brew, beer was brewed for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. in, uh, you know, in Belgium and, and the, uh, you know, around Brussels and areas like that. Yeah, before the before the discovery of yeast and what it does, I mean, pe that people knew what yeast was, but they didn't know how it worked. But you know, I mean, a lot of people that made their made beer in these small little breweries that was how they that's how they got their yeast and their the bread of and whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. So, well, let's go. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get involved in craft brewing? How did I get into beer? So that's. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, when I was in college, I got a gig at the local beer shop, and uh, it wasn't glorious by any means. I spent every Friday night back in the, the cooler stocking the shelves, so every time some rowdy college kid would grab a six-pack off the chute, I was in the cooler with my <laughs> coat on, you know, throw another six-pack in there, there. and... Uh, you know, and at the time I was drinking Keystone and stuff like that. But um, every once in a while we'd have a six pack where a bottle broke or something, and the, the owner would say, "All right, everyone, take a bottle home." And and uh, you know, I through that uh, I was broke broke college kid, but I was able to to try and and experiment with these fun American and Belgian and and English uh, craft beers, and just fell in love with it. And uh, started home brewing shortly after I got the gig at the the shop there. Um, and uh, within about a year and a half, I got a gig as an assistant brewer at a small brew pub outside of Madison. Okay. And uh, 
sort of was was thrown into the fire uh, and and took over as the head brewer there when I was like 23 years old. Um, and I did that for about a year or so. I, I spent a little time at, they had a production facility as well, um, doing, you know, uh, distri distributed bottles and stuff like that. Did some brewing over there, but mostly at the small brew pub and, uh, and uh, you know, was working there. And my now wife um, and I were dating long distance in college. So she was at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and I was at the University of Wisconsin. And uh, I had just finished up... Uh, at the university, my, I was done with college, and uh, a buddy that I had met out in Boulder at Boulder Beer Company, uh, was, he was a brewer there at the time, uh, reached out and said, hey, I'm going to try to start a brewery in Boulder. Do you want to move out here and help me? And uh, I had no reason to stay in Wisconsin. My, my girlfriend lived in Boulder. I had this business opportunity out here. So, uh, so yeah, like a week later, I packed up my crappy little RAV4 and moved out to Boulder, Colorado. And... Um, Got a got a job at uh, Redstone Meadery, which is a honey winery in Boulder. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Make really nice honey wines, um, which was a, a really good experience just to sort of learn a different side of fermentation and, and raw material. Um, and I was there for about a year while we sort of worked on the business plan and getting all the, the cash together and all that to start, you know, what became my first brewery that I helped open, which was called Sanitas Brewing Company. Um, we got open there in two th end of 2012, early 2013, I believe. Um, spent spent a couple years there and uh, just you know realized that you know the focus at, at Sanitas was uh, you know cans of IPA and, and sort of your your staples in most people's fridge. I would is what I would call it, and they were doing really really good stuff. Um, but I really wanted to get back to sort of the experimental roots of, of beer making. Um, and so I split off and, and sort of soul searched for a year or so to say, okay, where, where do I want to be and what do I want to do? And, and uh, looked at maybe returning to Wisconsin um, and just really sort of said, you know what, I, I love Colorado. I like being out here. I'm going to do it out here. So um, started working on the business plan for what is now Cellar West. And that uh, we opened in January of 2016. Um, Took about a, a year, maybe nine months, to kind of get that all together. So, yeah. What inspired the name? That's a great question as well. Uh, so, in my my business plan, uh, when I when I first decided that I wanted to to do this sort of small artisan beer project, um, I was fairly confident that I'd be going back to Wisconsin. And, and my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I were, you know, discussing it quite a bit. We said, okay, well, let's let's maybe return home and and sort of start this thing up and. So my, the name in my business plan that I was working with was Cellar North. And I was going to kind of embrace this, like, Midwest, Northwoods, Wild Ale, Farmhouse Ale vibe. And, uh, you know, the further along we got into it, I was just like, you know, I, I don't think uh, leaving Colorado is the right thing for us right now. And I think right. um, this is where we need to be for now. And uh, coincidentally, like, right when we were having that conversation, she got a good promotion at work, and she was like, I think, I think we're sticking around here. And I was like, I agree. So changed the, uh, the working title in my, op my uh, business plan to Seller West, and I was like, I'll just change that later. I'll do something different, you know. And uh, just all my friends and everyone kept referring to it as Seller West, and I, it just stuck. So we just ran with it. Very good. Yeah. Um, I got to ask a question. I mean, you do, clean, you do clean beers besides the soured beers. Mm -hmm the wild yeast uh, farmhouse style. Uh, how, how do you, do you have two separate brew houses that you work with or how do you keep your clean beers 
from picking up your friends that are just kind of yeah. floating around in the air? Yeah, so we, uh, we no, we don't have two separate brew houses. We've got the one seven barrel brew house, but we've, uh, we've got dedicated tanks uh, for clean beer. Uh, we've got a couple dedicated tanks that we only put clean beer into. We don't let any wild yeast near that stuff. Um, and, you know, separate hoses, separate gaskets, any soft parts, um, they're all color-coded, all color-coded yeah. to clean beer and, and yeah. wild beer. Um, you know, even doing that, especially when you're in a small space like we are, you're, you're still kind of playing with fire, but um, we just put a lot of focus into our cleaning, you know, procedures and, and uh, all that detail, so. For those of you who are not familiar with brewing, it, the one thing that you have to do with a brewery and any home brewer will tell you this, is you've got to clean, 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 clean. Glorified janitor. Yeah, yeah. So how big is your brew house? It's a seven barrel. Seven um, barrel. Yep, seven barrel brew house. It's uh, sort of put together from a handful of different manufacturers that I've uh, really fallen in love with their their products over the years. Um, and our kettle comes from Bennett Forge Works, which is actually in Colorado. They're over on the Western Slope. Uh, and our mash ton is from a guy named James. I don't, he doesn't have really a business name, just James. Uh, he's in Wisconsin, uh-huh. and uh, he makes really nice mash tons. A um, handful of people in Colorado have them, and I've worked on a lot of his mash tons and just really like them. So, Good. Yeah. So how many barrels worth of fermenters do you have? Oh, man, great question. Um, so currently we've got, a, let's see, two seven-barrel fermenters that are dedicated to clean beer. Uh, we've got uh, what we call a blending tank that we use for blending our, our barrels, our wild barrels. Right. Um, we've got a small fruiting tank that, again, is only used for wild ale. Uh, and then currently, in route to our facility here, we've got our first fooder. Uh, right. So a big, oak, big, big yeah, wood big tank coming. Fruit, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've got in, in sort of – that doesn't sound like a lot of – fermentation capacity we do a lot of uh, barrel fermentation though which is uh, I wouldn't say unique to us but not a lot of people do a whole lot of that we do quite a bit so over half of our beer is fermented directly in oak barrels annual production yeah what are, what are you looking at quite small uh, last year we did 100 barrels of production right I'm guessing this year will be probably closer to 3 to 350 okay that's 2018 uh, no, 2018, we're probably around 100 to 120, somewhere okay. in there. We're still right. kind of getting those numbers in. But um, for 2019, I'm guessing we'll be 3 to 350 okay. with our new facility, and we're brewing quite a bit. Yeah. So. Oh, that's right. Now, you used to be on the north side of Boulder, yep. right? Uh, how long before you moved out here to Lafayette? How long ago? So we kind of uh, started to put that plan into action, I'd say, about a year ago. We, we were like, all right, we're, we're out of space. We're packed to the gills at our original location. We started, the Boulder location was 1,200 square feet, very, very small. That included a tasting room. So, wow. Uh, and really, I started it that way intentionally. Um, I, wanted, I wanted it to be built in a way where we could, you know, a year in, we could say, okay, this either isn't working or we're just going to shut the doors. Right. You know, it hasn't been well received or whatever, you know, the, the issue might be. Um, or we, we need more space. Um, I'd rather, I didn't want to open and have tons of bank loans and things like that and try to be finding ways to get creative and fill space that we didn't need to be using and things like that. So luckily we, we needed more space. So I started looking for space in Boulder and 
just um, some of the limitations of uh, Boulder that, that are the realities of Boulder, which we love that town, but um, it's a very expensive town to run a business in, especially as a brewery. The margins on beer are not phenomenal in general. Um, and the zoning is really tough in Boulder. Uh, so we, we, we really kind of beat our head against the wall for about a year trying to find a spot in Boulder, realized that it might not be an option. And I've lived in Lafayette, which is sort of a suburb, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I, I'd call it a suburb. Yeah. Um, I've lived in Lafayette for three years now, and I love it out here. And I said, you know what, if Boulder's not going to work, Lafayette's the spot. So, right. Um, yeah, so we've uh, we've had our lease here for about six months now. We opened our, our beer pub, we call it, but it's essentially our tasting room uh, about a month ago, a little over a month ago. Okay. And we're just as of probably two or three weeks ago, really starting to do back house, brew house stuff Fantastic. at our new spot. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, it worked out. You know, if I, I was thinking about doing this trip in December, I wouldn't probably, you'd have been in transition. At yeah, that time. yeah, it would have yeah. been a kind of a wonky time for yeah. us. Distribution. Are you selling outside of your facility here or just at the, at the, at the beer house? We are. Uh, I would say as of today, about 75% of our beer is sold in our in our tap house right. um, between on-premise and to-go bottles, things like that. Uh, we do a little bit of distribution. We do all of our own distribution, so we're self-distributed um, down to, you know, me calling in on, you know, liquor store owners and right. saying, you know, here's what we got, what would you like, delivering it, hand-delivering it the next day. You know, it's pretty rare you got the owner and brewer delivering your cases of beer when you order them. Um, and... You wouldn't be able to do that in my state, in Missouri, right, because exactly. the law does not allow it. We state. have some fairly favorable laws in Colorado that make it... Uh, it helps when convenient. your former governor was a craft brewer himself. It does. It does. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to deny it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I always like, you know, why has Colorado got so many craft brewers? Well, because John Hickenlooper was a craft brewer himself, and yep. he helped get this whole thing rolling. And, yep. You know, I don't... Colorado's like, I, I've met so many craft brewers, people that are working at other places around the country that started in Colorado. Yeah. They yep. were an assistant brewer or, you know, they got this job and at, at, at a craft brewery in Colorado and then they wanted to go out on their own and then yep. they ended up, or they wanted to go work for other people. So, yeah, so, yeah it's like, it's like, this is like... Uh, what I want to say, I mean, this was like an incubator for mm -hmm. craft brewery, craft brewing mm -hmm. in the United States. One of them, I mean, mm -hmm. Washington State, o Oregon, you could say California yep. has its scene. I would say that the pipeline, so to speak, definitely uh, runs through the state of Colorado. I talked, you know, I, I go on trips and stuff, and I'll be in San Diego or wherever it is, and you know, people find out that I'm from Colorado at breweries, and they'll say, "Oh, I, you know, I, I brew here now, but I brewed at so and so in Colorado for a handful of years," and um, but we come across a lot of people who have worked out here at one point or another. So, so do you, what are your full-time beers? What beers do you always have uh, available? As of today, we don't have any full-time beers. Okay. We have no flagships. Uh, we have beers that we've brewed a handful of times mm -hmm. um, that we've brought back. But it's really, cobweb, by the way, it's, is that, that's it, delicious. Yeah, it's really nice. That's one. Really nice. It's really good. I'm gonna have a full pint of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, but really, our approach when we started was we're gonna kind of make you know a handful of different beers continually rotate see what people are into mm -hmm. and if they like it we'll bring it back and and if they don't then we won't and what has been your big your big 
seller or your most popular, let's say? Yeah. Or what's the one that people say, hey, when are you going to have more of? Right, right. Uh, I would say if we had to, if I had to say we had a flagship uh, beer, it would probably be Westfield, which is our Oak Age Brett Saison. Um, it was actually the first beer we ever made at Cellar West, and, and uh, I don't think it has stuck because it was the first beer. I think mm-hmm. it stuck because it's it's the beer that I had months and months to think about while I was building Cellar West, right. and uh, and it was the first one I brewed. And it's just a you know sort of my take on a, a classic saison done with a little bit of American twist. But um, we brewed that a handful of times. That one's always really popular. We do a sort of a double version of that recipe called Make Hay that we won a silver medal at Great American Beer Festival for uh-huh. last year. Um, so that's another really popular one. But generally, you know, our, our saisons are what sort of we, we built a name for ourselves with, um, especially our kind of funky oak age saisons, things like that. They tend to sell the best for us, um, but we do a little bit of everything. We try to keep a dark ale on. It's usually some sort of kind of dark farmhouse ale with herbs and spices and fruit. So, Well... The two that I've had so far are exceptional. I had, um, what's the one that's on the top of the chalkboard there? Oh, uh, Sammy. Sammy? Yeah, Sammy's a fun one. Now tell us about Sammy. So Sammy is my dog. Uh, That's where the name comes from. He's kind of our shop dog at the brewery. Uh, Sammy we've made a couple times as well. It's a a dark ale, so it, you know, it's it's not uh, the best seller because generally dark ales don't sell quite as well as your, your more pale beers, but... Uh, Sammy is a, a sort of a dark saison, for lack of better description. Uh, it's got a bunch of raw grains in it, uh, a little bit of oats, some wheat. Um, Sammy gets, uh, we, we put that one in oak barrels for, I want to say about eight months. Okay. With uh, our house wild yeast culture, which is definitely Brett Britannomyces driven, mm-hmm. very Brett forward. Um, and then that one, kind of the fun thing about Sammy is we give it a, a pretty new age American dry hop. Um, so we, we dry hop that one with Idaho 7 and Mosaic and Eldorado, some kind of fun fruity hop varieties. So it, it I wouldn't call it a, you know, like a hop forward IPA kind of no, beer, but it's, it's got a little bit of that lingering sort of yeah, fruity it, hop note to it. A little bit of that. Yep. And the, the th- nice thing about it, it finishes very dry. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of layers. Yep. I noticed there's a lot of layers and flavor in that beer. Sure. And, and that, that's but kind it of has goal. a dry finish. Yeah, that's yeah. the goal with a lot of our beer. And, and uh, you know, most of our be- beers are going to finish really dry. I would actually say all of our beers finish pretty dry. We tend to try to, to have drier beers here. Um, yeah, I You know, I've gone places before and they'll, they'll have a beer on and they'll call it a Saison. Uh-huh. And you drink it and it's like kind of sticky leaves that syrupy, sticky sappy yeah, kind of yeah 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 and i've had i've had beers from duval mm-hmm. you know uh i've had some of boulevard's saisons which since duval owns them right and i'm like yeah i don't want to tell you this but i don't think you're doing your saisons sure. quite right sure. but no both of these uh both of these the sammy which mm-hmm. like i said dark rich had a lot of fruit and maybe like some raisin flavor sure. there in the front. But yeah, and there was another layer in between there and then finished dry. It was a great beer. Now, the cobweb here, this is an aged beer mm-hmm. and we're not talking a month or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, tell us about cobweb. Cobweb is, is uh, kind of an interesting story. So that one was our third batch we ever brewed at Cellar West. Um, it was fermented entirely in former red wine barrels. So we uh, we brewed the beer. We racked it into uh, oak barrels, 
and sort of just forgot about it. Um, you know, I tasted it probably six months into to aging and uh, didn't love it. Okay. It, uh, the, it, it had a little bit of this kind of just flabby wet dog kind of weird wild right. character to to me and i it was one that i you know we have a, a constant log going of all the barrels that we've got and just constantly take notes next to it every time we try it which is you know we try to taste every barrel at least once a month and uh it was just like every month you know like oh man it's not not coming around not coming around and i kind of loosely out of my calendar to dump it and we do that we do that more than a lot of breweries do. Um, that's one thing that I actually wish more breweries would do is dump beer when, right. if it doesn't make the cut, it doesn't make the cut, and it goes down the drain. We don't, you know, it's not like we're dumping half of the beer we make, but we don't. If a beer doesn't make the cut, it doesn't make the cut. Um, and that was one that I was like, I don't know if this makes a cut. Um, completely forgot about it. I'm talking about for like years, like for like, we forgot about it for probably 13, 14 months, and finally came time to dump those barrels, and. Uh, you know, had it on the calendar Tuesday, dumping the dumping out those those oak barrels. Went back, tried it, and it had completely come around. And it was just layered with complexity. It had taken on more of a mineral type character that I get in a lot of like Belgian lambics and things like that, um, and had sort of turned the corner, so to speak. And you know, I was like, am I? Is this just like an off day for me? Or so I called my, you know, the staff came in. I was like, you guys try that, and they were like, what? What is this? And I was like, that's those barrels that. We haven't tried in months and months that there. we hate it. We forgot about yeah. them. And uh, they were like, we should package this. So um, so we had four barrels of it. One really did sort of get a little bit too much oxygen ingress and whatnot, so we dumped that. But the other three, we packaged one just as it was. We aged one with a little bit of plum and apricot, and then one with raspberry and, and uh, blueberry. Um, and they, they've been a big hit. So. Yeah, Cobweb, this is really good. It's refreshing, effervescent. And it has a dry finish. It, I mean, it, and for what is it, seven point nine percent ABV? It doesn't hit you like that. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't. The mouthfeel doesn't have that high, uh, that higher ABV. Really good drink, easy drinking beer for for a beer of that high of gravity. You've done this for a number of years. Been involved in the craft beer uh, brew neighborhood and the community. Is there something you've learned in the industry that kind of surprised you? I would say I've found that there are many, and I'd even say endless ways, to find success in this industry, which is is not something I expected. Um, When I was younger and coming up in this industry, I sort of looked around at the other brewers around me and, and, and... told myself that to be successful if this is what I want to do with my life this is sort of what I need to do these are the handful of brewers that I that seem to be whatever whatever being successful is making money you know they're busy they're growing right and those are those are sort of um, notions that are changing in our industry I think you know the 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 sort of associating growth with success things like that but at the time when I was coming up, I, I looked around and those were the breweries that I said, okay, I, I guess this is what you need to do in this industry to do well. And uh, what I've learned is um, that's not entirely true. And I think uh, to do things differently than and, and sort of swim um, against the current a little bit is challenging, but you can, you can find a lot of success doing things in a multitude of different ways in this industry, which... Um, isn't so obvious when you first sort of get into it. 
So what challenges do you see coming down the road, not only for Seller West, but for the industry as a whole? I think uh, consumer education is a big piece that is always a challenge, and it's especially a challenge for smaller brewers who are, you know, doing things a little bit differently. Um, you know, educating people on what they're drinking, why, what they're tasting, why they're tasting it, what they should be tasting. Um, so I think really, ed- and educating is, is challenging. It's it's hard to get out there and educate people, and and. Uh, so I think that's a challenge. You know, there's a lot of breweries opening, and I'm not going to be the guy who sits here waving his finger saying there's too many breweries and, we're, you know, this isn't good for us. And, it, you know, anyone who wants to open a brewery can get the cash together and, and has the resources and whatnot, open a brewery, you know. Um, do it if that's what you want to do. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of breweries, and, um, you know, the, the growth of uh, – overall alcoholic beverage industry market share that we have is is not on the same pace as it was five years ago right you know with these alcoholic sparkling waters and right. and things like that which are exploding right now and, and they absolutely are cutting into beer sales they're not cutting into the beer sales of the guy who loves his local brewer and goes there two or three times a week they're not cutting into the beer sales of the you know guy who travels for work and loves to hit local breweries and different towns he goes to they're cutting into the beer sales of you know the average guy who goes out with his buddies and craft beer is what's in so that's what he drinks now craft beer is still in but there's other things that are also in so we're competing with all these sort of tertiary things now and, and that's something that as brewers I don't think we talk about a whole lot but it, it, it's a real thing right. um, sort of outside competition so. anything coming down the road I mean other than this expansion which is a big that's a big thing but anything else that people might uh, look forward to coming from Seller uh, West in the future not yeah. just the near future but maybe long term yeah plans. yeah yeah you know it's uh, it's it, that's a good question because I finally feel like I'm able to come up for air a little bit. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, which is great, you know. And, that, and we're not I'm, not, I'm not saying in the last year, I'm saying in the last like week or two, it's like we finally uh, kind of have our feet under us at this new spot and uh, we're feeling good. We've got everything dialed in, in the front of house and we're starting to sort of work out the kinks in the back of house. And, and so I'm kind of like, okay, let's like slow the roll. Let's really, and, and, and you know, that's, um, we move slower than a lot of, brewers and and that's not um, an accident that's intentional because we don't make beer styles that fly off the shelf we don't do 16 ounce cans of of hazy ipas on the shelf and i'm not bashing them i drink them you know they're a good a good hazy ipa is a good hazy ipa but they sell really easily and really well Um, we don't make those styles per se so we you know we don't grow as fast as most brewers so the step that we just took was a big step for us uh, and I think really something that I look forward to is having the space to the space and the means to really dig deep and get into not necessarily adding more equipment and adding more things and adding you know more year-round beers or whatever it is it's it's taking what we have and just making it better um, we make really good beer but do we make the best beer and the country or the world probably not and that's that's always the goal is to make like world-class product and will we ever get there i doubt it probably not but like that's that's what that's what i'm excited about is just digging digging in and and really um 
getting into the nitty gritty of just making a really good product, taking really good care of our, our people who come into our house here, we put a lot of focus into the experience that we offer here. It's, it, again, kind of coming full circle. It's a different experience. You know, a lot of people come in here and they expect that, you know, if there is such a thing as, you know, your standard Colorado brewery experience, it's probably not this. There's probably not, you know, uh, low lighting and a bunch of Brett beers on tap and things like that. And, and uh, so just really offering a better experience, offering better beer, um, doing the most with what we have is what I get excited about. We've got some ideas of larger projects in the future, but will will uh, the industry, you know, and cash flow and things like that allow us to do them? I have no idea, so I don't want, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, we're going to open a, this is not something we're going to do, but like open a pizza joint, you know, or something like that. It's like, who knows? We, you know, we might, we might uh, just kind of ride this one out for a bit here. If you have a good idea, like you do, I mean, you're doing something that maybe Black Project is the only other place around here that's doing something sure. like that. Yeah. But if you've got a good idea and you've got the passion and you've got the, the support from your spouse and you've got the ambition, mm-hmm. let, let, what a lot of people that come to craft breweries don't understand mm-hmm. is how much work there mm-hmm. is in it. Same thing at a bar. Yeah. People come into a, a, a solid, well-run bar. Mm-hmm. They don't really, oh, man, I wish, when I retire, I want to own a bar. Then you know, you're not going to retire. Right. Yeah. Yep. They don't see all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. They just come in here. They see you talking to customers, having a beer with them. But, Zach, I think you've got a great idea here. I think you've got a great uh, passion for what you're doing. You make you. I'm already convinced you're you're on the right course with the two beers that I have drank. I'm going to drink some more, but uh, I wish you the best of luck. And I will stop by here the next time I'm through the uh, the Front Range area. And thanks again for coming on the Brews Traveler. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate and, uh, it. So let's uh, cheers. cheers. Yeah. Skull, slancha, roast. That's it. Thanks again to Zach and Prescott for inviting us out to visit Cellar West. Uh, Also, I want to thank my friend Brooks Scott for suggesting that I go and see these guys. And uh, I had read in Beer Advocate that this was one of the best new breweries in the country before I went to see them. And after being there, I can concur. These guys have got it going on. They're hitting the mark. They're going to win some awards. They've got some great, great beers. You should check them out. Cellar West Artisan Ales is located at 778B West Baseline Road in Lafayette, Colorado. Their hours of operation are Tuesday through Friday, 3 to 10 p.m., Saturday and Sunday, 1 to 10 p.m., and they're closed on Mondays. If you'd like to know more about what's going on at Cellar West, check them out on Facebook, at Cellar West, or check out their website, CellarWest.com. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Well, that's it, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at The Brews Traveler Podcast. Send me a message. Tell me what you think of the show, or send me an email. Cheers at thebrewstraveler.com. Please go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. It would mean so much. 
The soundtrack to The Bruise Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm. You can check them out and see what's coming up for them in 2019 by going over to the website GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So until next week, if I don't see you at the pub or at a tap room, I'll be right back here on the podcast. Drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And merrily, as always, you are the measure of my dreams. I love you. Thanks again for listening and so long for just a while. You're breaking my heart. You're shaking my confidence daily. Oh, Cecilia, I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you please to come home. Oh, come home. Messieurs, c'est les microbes qui auront les derniers mots. Gentlemen, it is the microbes who will have the last word. Louis Pasteur, French biologist, microbiologist, and chemist, renowned for discoveries concerning the principles of vaccination, microbial fermentation, and pasteurization. Born December 27, 1822, Dole, France, died September 28, 1895, Marne-le-Coquette, France.